Hello, welcome to the Guernsey Press Politics Podcast. My name is Helen Bowditch. My two guests this week are backbencher deputy Lyndon Trott and former deputy turned political columnist Richard Graham. So Deputy Trott, I should ask you first of all, have you ever fallen victim to Mr Graham's pen in his column? Uh, no, I, I think I think Richard has uh, um, referred to me on one or two occasions, but I, I've never felt put out. I, I do have to tell you, though, I think his uh, column is absolutely superb. And I don't just say that because he's here with us now, because I, I, I've told him that privately um, um, beforehand. I think he could easily have had a job as a, a you know, career as a journalist, frankly, um, rather than maybe a military man or a politician or a... Um, whatever, so a diplomat. So I think um, I think well done, Richard. Your your uh, your pieces are superb. Yes, I really I love them. I really enjoy reading them. I don't know if I'd want to be one of the victims of it, but, but I, I I really enjoy it. And it's a mate. It's like a third career for you, isn't it? Well, I'm, I'm sorry you're using the word victim because <laughs> um, I mean I do realize you're right, that's too harsh. Yes, I, yeah. I do realize government is a serious business, but there must be room in it for a bit of theatre and a bit of comedy, and a bit of leg-pulling, anyway, put it, put it that way. And I have to say, it helps having been on the inside. You know, you get a sense of the theatre uh, there. So um, um, I, I hope nobody takes it too, too seriously, although I do actually usually have a serious point to make, but I, I do believe in making it a, as gentle as possible. Now, I have been accused of having it in for certain individuals, but all I would say is that some individuals draw attention to themselves uh, more than others. Uh, And so uh, I regard myself as the messenger, really, just to give people some idea, uh, as an old stager, of how our current deputies are conducting themselves, principally in the Assembly, but also sort of um, uh, uh, comparing what's going on in the assembly with what they're saying and doing outside the assembly, all that sort of thing. Uh, I hope in a reasonably light-hearted way, uh, despite temptations to the contrary. Well, I, well, I, I always think humour is a really powerful yeah. tool, isn't it? And I love the way, I, ju- I just love the way that you capture the, the, uh, the funny moments. Yeah, and there, there are plenty of them, aren't there? Yeah, there are, it's a gift. And are you enjoying life you know, after you stood down as a, a deputy last year? My wife is still waiting for me to retire because uh, I'm, I'm writing a book at the moment which takes nearly all my mornings. Uh, and then in the afternoon I'm trying to catch up on all those domestic things that I've been putting, you know, um, putting aside over the last 50-odd years of marriage. So, uh, but, yeah, I'm, in, I'm enjoying life. I have to say I miss the constituency bit of being a, a deputy, you know, of responding to Cattell um, uh, constituents uh, uh, and when they've asked for advice and things like that. I also enjoyed some of the committee work because uh, despite often the common narrative, there are things that you can do uh, and accomplish and get done in committees, not always earth-shattering things, but you can actually engage with day-to-day problems, fix them as much as you can. I don't miss what I thought was a pretty poisonous atmosphere in the States itself, which doesn't seem to be... uh, I think it's probably a different sort of poisonous atmosphere, but it doesn't sound as as if it's substantially better now. So I don't miss that at all. And Deputy Trott, uh, how's life as a backbencher? Is it a little bit galling because you you used to be at the centre of power, everyone hanging off your every word? Uh, Not really, because uh, straight after the election... Um, 
for Chief Minister, Deputy Fairbosch, came to me and asked me if I would join his team on the Policy and Resources Committee. And uh, I declined. Uh, I gave him a, a number of reasons why. Um, and they would have been the same reasons I gave to, um, would have given to Deputy Saint-Pierre had he had won. And that is that, you know, you can, you can stay at the top a little too long. Uh, and besides, I've got plenty to do. You know, the chairmanship of, of Guernsey Finance, which is Guernsey's primary private-public partnership, is, is a, a pretty demanding role. I do stuff for the Commonwealth Parliamentary Association in the sense that I'm the, the independent trustee of the trust funds for that um, organisation, which, as somebody reminded me the other day, is, is actually the second largest international organisation after the UN. And, and I also sit on the board of Elizabeth College. So backbencher, yes, but sort of completely out of it, no. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm very happy with, with, my, with my role. Okay, great. Should we tackle some of the issues of the week? I think freedom of speech is something that's been highlighted. Why, why did you want to raise that? Well, it was sparked off in the media um, week by the, the incident of the um, Committee for Education, Sport and Culture uh, disinviting that group who want to speak about the government's reaction to COVID, and we're going to do so in the, in the Performing Arts Centre. And I think it raises a, a, an interesting point. I was disappointed, really, in the reaction to the, the criticism, uh, the reaction by the committee, because I think the sensible thing to have done would have been to say, yes, actually, it is limiting freedom of speech, which it undoubtedly was, but sometimes there are occasions where freedom of speech is outweighed by other principles, and that they could have explained. They didn't do that. They simply, they did the sort of Trumpian thing of saying fake news, it's not an issue of freedom of speech, which it clearly is, and, and I think in, in doing that, there were, there were one or two other sort of strands to it that I thought were disappointing. Uh, There's this notion that really the, the, uh, the people of Guernsey are so thick, they can't attend an event like that and make up their own minds about the, the validity of, of the information they're being given. There was also the message that any message that counters, runs counter to a government policy shouldn't be aired in a state's own building. I, I'm not sure where that leaves the, the debating chamber in the, in the Royal Courthouse, but, but, but there we are. And also, actually, it, it, it almost sends the message that the state's policy on COVID is so fragile, it shouldn't be exposed to challenge. Um, so I, I thought it was worth talking about that. And I think people of my generation haven't forgotten the immediate post-war years where, I mean, I, I was at school in, in the 50s, and freedom of speech, the Holocaust, uh, you know, the burning of books, all that sort of stuff, uh, was still very much an issue. And we were rather complacently saying, it can never happen here. Well, uh, in the UK at the moment, students, with the encouragement of some of the lecturers, are burning books and persecuting the authors. Uh, and I never thought that would happen in the United Kingdom. So I'm not suggesting that here in Guernsey we're about to be burning books, but let it not be the thin end of the wedge. Why do you think that culture has sort of come back then, this idea of limiting freedom of speech? I, I, I suspect the longer you have a privilege, 
uh, the more, you know, the, perhaps the less value you put on. It's rather like peace, isn't it? I, I, I suspect social media plays a part in it. Uh, and I say that from someone who does not participate in social media. And I'm often asked why, you know, why, why someone with a, who's a, uh, had a political career of whatever it is now, 21, 22 years. Um, and it's because... Uh, I, I've never been a particularly interested in people paying me compliments. I've never been particularly interested in, in people criticising me because what I say I mean, but everything I say, I, I'm, uh, it's attributable to me. Uh, in other words, I don't operate under any pseudonyms. I don't operate in a clandestine ma- way. Now, of course, social media, people can say what they like about whatever topic, about whoever, anonymously if they so desire. And I think that is, that is wrong. If you've got something to say, um, uh, you know, allow yourself to be accredited to it, particularly if, if what you have to say is so deeply unpleasant. So I think that's contributed to it, frankly. But I do agree with Richard that um, we've got to be very, very careful uh, to limit uh, freedom of speech. It's something that uh, we fought world wars uh, over, let's be honest. Uh, and uh, the, uh, you know, the, the issues are uh, fundamental to a modern democracy. So it is, it, but uh, I stand by what I've said around, around the, the anonymity of some comments. They're, they're completely outrageous, I'm told, uh, because um, I don't, as I say, I don't have any access to it, but, but people are forever telling me just how vile some of the comments, particularly on Facebook or, or whatever it is now called, Meta something or other, I think. Um, it's changed its name overnight, hasn't I think, it? I think there are some moves in the UK now after the death of the, uh, after the murder of the MP to try to get Facebook and Twitter to, you know, get people to use their, their real names. Yeah. Well, the murder of the, 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 the MPs, uh, there's been two, and of course the stabbing of Stephen as well, who I did know. Um, uh, every time it happens, it brings home to, to me the fact that I believe, and long may this be the case, that I am the only politician in Guernsey ever to have a cordon of security thrown around me. And it was all to do with the Landers Banky depositors. Yeah, uh, and it was a very, very difficult time. My um, two elder children were quite young at the moment, and they were walking around the house with, um, with, with lanyards that had buttons on, and so they saw anything suspicious, they were to press it. And, and, it was, and I remember thinking, crikey, this, you know, this is Guernsey, but even... You know, even here, we weren't completely impervious to it. Now, I think that remains absolutely an isolated occurrence. I'm delighted to say, and I hope that continues. Um, But it's a very fine dividing line between getting online threats of that nature, which the law enforcement um, authorities considered were of of a created a heightened risk, to, to actually being in, in, a, in a, an environment where someone walks in off the street and stabs you to death. Uh, I, I mean, it's just unthinkable that that can happen. But it does happen. And, uh, and uh, my fear is that um, we'll see more of it uh, in the future. Because I do think, and again, I don't, you can't blame everything on social media, but I do think the radicalisation, uh, particularly uh, around fundamental religious beliefs, are made easier as a consequence of the reach of social media. But I suppose, I mean, there's a line between, you know, it's fine for someone to go on social media and say, Deputy Trot is, I mean, I'm not saying it's very nice, but someone could go on social media and say, Deputy Trot is useless, he's terrible at his, at his job. It's, yeah, and there's, it's very different. You know, that's, I won't that's okay. get to I won't get to know about it uh, unless somebody draws my attention to it, because like I say, I don't, I don't follow it in that way. And, and that's an entirely legitimate thing to say. 
But let Helen Bowditch say it, or Richard Graham say it, not, you know, not irritated in the veil or, or bothered in St Peterport. You know, if you want to make unpleasant comments about people, um, uh, uh, put a, a name to it. Now, I know this will fall on deaf ears, um, but I also know that most people would share my view because uh, I don't believe that most people would behave in that way. I think it is a minority, but it's a deeply unpleasant on occasions, a deeply unpleasant minority. I think although um, social media is related to um, freedom of speech, it is actually a, a discrete issue in my view. But uh, one of the things that interested me, having been on the inside of politics, uh, and it, it disappointed me, was the degree to which politicians take social media comment as a litmus test of what Mr. and Mrs. Guernsey are thinking and saying. Uh, and, and I think they delude themselves. I really do. Uh, but um, I think there have been occasions where decisions have been made and policies then follow from it, hugely influenced by uh, some politicians whose engagement with the community is principally through social media. Um, I, don't, I didn't intend to speak about island-wide voting, but I, I think island-wide voting was a good example, of, and I know Lyndon was a proponent of it, but it, it was very much a sort of touch-screen election rather than touch-the-flesh. Uh, and I think that's pretty symptomatic of how life is being conducted anyway. Um, uh, and I think, I think there are dangers for politicians. Uh, they ought to actually have ears and eyes for things other than the social media. And a few of them don't. And Lyndon, because you were actually saying to me before as we came in, you, you uh, seek out opportunities to, to go and speak to real people, don't you? I do. I, I think it's, it's extremely easy, particularly for somebody like me who maintains a number of commercial interests, to only be around commercial interests. Uh, because, you know, these people are my friends. Uh, they're my, you know, the people I went to school with, the people I was educated with, the people I socialised with. So I, I work hard to put myself into different environments. So, for instance, uh, on occasions I will go uh, to a public house um, uh, to, uh, you know, to, to sort of engage with the people in there. I'll go to the, go to the cafe culture, uh, not, and not, not just, you know, the middle-class cafe culture, but the, the blue-collar working-class cafe culture as well, in order to get a broad uh, selection of views. And Rich is absolutely right. Um, uh, the views that are often expressed in those environments are very different to the views that one would hear if one used, say, Twitter as an exclusive source of information. And going back to this this group that uh, wanted to, you know, rent the Performing Arts Centre, they're not, I don't think they call them anti-vaxxers, they're not sort of particularly extreme. I think, as I understand it, they, they, they're not keen on the idea of the vaccination of children. I mean, and I, I suppose the counter-argument from ESC would be that, well, this would have been, it would have been contrary to government policy to allow to allow this group to have used this state's own building? Well, I think it was capable of explanation. I don't think the Guernsey public are that dim. <laughs> They're incapable of, of listening to such an explanation. I, I don't buy that, p particularly. Uh, where, where do you draw the line? Um, I, I, I mean, I, I'm not an anti-vaxxer, but uh, I don't blindly subscribe to the view that it is, without doubt, a good thing to vaccinate the young, particularly since the trials are still ongoing into the vaccines in terms of their long-term effect. Uh, and those, those trials haven't finished. It's, an, it's a terribly difficult decision. Um, and I, I think these sort of 
um, equations should be debated out in the public. And I don't see any reason at all why uh, states-owned uh, venues shouldn't, shouldn't be used for them. I can, I can see, and I go back to my original point, this was capable of explanation. There are times when freedom of speech gives way to uh, another overriding principle. I mean, I wouldn't be happy about a state's own venue being used uh, to preach racial hatred, that sort of thing. But, I mean, racial hatred is actually a criminal offence, I think, by now in Guernsey, isn't it? Or, or, or there, there are, the law covers that sort of... Uh, aspect of, of, of public speaking. Um, so there, there are lines. I mean, there was nothing totally sacrosanct about freedom of speech, um, um, but I, I think it, it remains a precious commodity, and I think this was an instance where unnecessarily it was infringed. Should we talk about the budgets next? Are you, uh, Lyndon, are you looking forward to next week's debates? Uh, no, not really. Uh, I, I think it could be over in record time. I mean, my, uh, the, the, um, the absence of amendments you know, is, is quite in, incredible um, uh, and, and unprecedented, uh, um, as I think you know, we all know. Um, and I, there's a number of reasons for it. Uh, but uh, the... Um, uh, this Policy and Resources Committee has got itself into a little bit of a pickle, if I'm perfectly honest, because um, some of them were elected in the general election on a, a set of policies uh, that were not, how can I put this delicately, not as accurate as they might have you know, wanted them to be, uh, particularly around, around you know, public spending and the like. Um, and they've now, you know, spent a year or so in post. They realise the issues are as the, their predecessors described, and the majority of the issues are around an ageing demographic. And there's there's one absolutely perfect example of that, which I, I used in my my budget speech, which, which I think you, Helen, uh, reported on, and that is that um, in the last, I think, ten or eleven years, there's been a 33, uh, three, three, 33 people um, uh, have joined. Uh, net gain in the in the white collar civil service, um, but there are four hundred more nurses and care staff, uh, and so the, the rise in public services numbers have come in the in, in, in the nursing and care environment, and that should be no surprise to anybody, because we now have I think something like three thousand more pensioners uh, during that particular period, uh, and uh, two thousand less people um, uh, who are economically active. So you don't have to be a genius to see that that is the problem we face, and it has been the problem we face for a little while. This idea of a bloated civil service is absolute nonsense. And, you know, when Richard was in um, the States, uh, he uh, was involved with one of the the leaner um, uh, divisions of government, the Home Affairs Committee, which is responsible, of course, for the fire brigade and the police and, and such like. Throughout my time in the States that the police has never reached its full complement, um, never. Uh, and, and the other thing about, you know, the fire brigade, people, you know, these, these are, these are um, public workers who, who often, you know, sit around waiting for a call, but every time they get called out, the cost of that call works out at £3,300. So if, you're, if there's a cat up the tree and the fire brigade are called, it's £3,300 each and every call. So the cost of public services isn't properly understood. Um, but the narrative around a bloated civil service that takes only 21, costs only 21%, or public sector that costs only 21% of our GDP, is something that they're going to have to work really, really hard on if they're going to remedy 
repair the damage that has been done in the way that the community views public services. Hmm. And, but why th this narrative of a bloated public service? It's, uh, it's perpetuated by politicians, isn't it? They are the, they're the source of it. Yeah, because hmm. they are. Um, because, because it, is it, it, it's it gets mentioned every oh, single time. It does, it does. Uh, and and it, it's, it, you know, for someone like me who's been around a little while, um, I just try and concentrate, you know, on the facts. And I think, you know, some people may say, well, well, 33 more civil servants in the last, you know, 11 years. I mean, that's ridiculous. It should be 200 le less. That's a completely legitimate argument. I mean, back it up with where you think these, these, these changes should be made. But don't say there are 500 more civil servants when there aren't. There are, there are 400 or nearly 400 more care workers and nurses as a, as a consequence of Agenda for Change. And those are, and, and even they are, that's insufficient um, to, to meet current demand. And that number will grow, not exponentially, but, but significantly as a consequence of the pace at which we are ageing. I mean, you know, when I came into the States, I was 35, the youngest member of the States. I'm 57 now. I'm only 10 years away now myself from, from retiring. I still feel a, a fairly young man. But the point is that there are lots around my age. The, I don't know if they're, what are they called? Not baby boomers. Is it generation? I forget uh, the, the narrative, uh, the, the, correct, the correct term. But, but the, the real concentration is, a, is coming not what we've already, you know, experienced. Uh, for me, the, the budget is quite an interesting backcloth to some of the narrative that's going on at the moment, and you, you've mentioned it. Um, the bloated civil service is, is, is only one aspect of the narrative, but the, the, generally you're getting deputies now, and they've been saying it for some time, because they saw this crunch coming, you know, election promises against reality. Uh, and they saw it coming, and the narrative has been there for some time, that we need more time to identify where these savings are. You know, Well, there's a bit of a myth that um, any inefficiencies and savings are for the states as a whole. You know, it's the states that waste money. It isn't. It's committees that do. And if you want to uh, eliminate waste, you say to Committee A, OK, boys and girls, next year you've got 10% less money to spend, cash limit, uh, get on with it. Uh, and in fact, to a certain extent, uh, back when, when I first joined the ranks, back in 2016, the, the, there was, there was a, um, a, a rather negative view of, of how the, state, the state's finances were. In fact, it was an un unnecessarily pessimistic one, but to address it, we were invited in the first year to, to reduce uh, committee spending, I think, by 5%, then another 5 and then a 3 or it might have been 3 3 5 I can't remember. And we, we, we did our best. It's a crude way of doing it, and I wouldn't necessarily advocate it because it, it sometimes leads to consequences that you wouldn't have wished for. But if, you, if your money's where your mouth is and you really believe that there are inefficiencies, all these deputies who've been in for a year now and they've been on the major committees, should be, uh, they should have identified which civil servants they want to sack, which services they can stop doing, which services they can do more efficiently. They should have a very good idea after just over a year of where the, any savings could be made. So let's have a look at the, the, the facts over the last decade. And the, these are numbers that, that come direct from the State's Treasurer through the Policy and Resources Committee. Pay awards to civil servants, so there's, that's the 1,600 or so wear white collars to work, generally speaking, um, were about 8% less than the median earnings and 6% less than inflation between 2009 and 2020. 
So despite the fact that during that period there were 33 more, they cost you, the taxpayer, 6% less in real terms. So after taking into account inflation, the cost of civil servants has fallen by 6%. You will not find another group within Guernsey where that will be that can be said. How can I be so certain? Well, because amongst those that are economically active, ETI, the amount of tax we take from earnings, continues to rise by a greater number than inflation. So despite the fact there are less people working, the amount of tax that we get from employment continues to rise. And that can only be because pay rises are rising faster in the private sector than inflation. So, you know, those are the facts. Now, people will be thinking, well, that's, mm, that's not what we're being told. Well, it's not what you're being told as, as enthusiastically and as consistently as you should be. People need to, need to be told the truth, uh, not the sort of narrative um, that plays well at 11 o'clock at night in a public bar. And to pick up on Richard's point, people who complain about a bloated public service, they're not being specific about which service they want to cut or which individuals are not needed, are they? You, Deputy Vermeulen is a member of the Guernsey Party. He's one of those saying, you know, we don't want to go to GST just yet or raise the income tax level just yet. Let's spend a little bit more time on seeing, you know, how the economy grows uh, and also where all these savings can be made. He's on Home Affairs, which has a budget of 35 million a year, something like that. He's also on Economic Development. I think he's, um, he's um, Vice President of Home, isn't he? And he's, he's on Economic Development. Economic Development are being given a budget rise of 39% over last year. Now, admittedly, they're getting some of the stuff that used to go elsewhere to, to digital Guernsey, uh, to the um, digital greenhouse, whatever they call it, to locate Guernsey and so on. But even allowing for that, they're getting a 12% rise in their budget this, this year. P&R, they're getting, after you discount certain sort of paper transactions, they're getting a 19% increase in, in P&R. Um, if I said to you, after health and education, which is the biggest spending blob in the States? I, I think I'd have said home affairs. Corporate services. What is that, actually? I well, know. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Lynn, Lynn will tell you. It, it's here in the budget. Uh, assurance and risk, communications, the communications team who communicate so well with you, uh, finance, human resources, uh, information systems, procurement, property services, all that sort of stuff. Um, 46 million quid next year. Yeah, it's a lot, yeah. A, a hundred, 133 million a year on pensions alone. So not pensions for civil servants, not superannuation, but pe old age pensions, 133 million. And when people talk about, you know, Guernsey's balance sheet, we are one of the very few places in the world that has five years worth of aggregate savings for old age pension. Almost everywhere else, including Jersey and the Isle of Man, pay pensions out of annual revenues. Uh, we've got this, this very substantial pot. Uh, but of course the pot is being uh, dwindled uh, because more and more people are now drawing on that particular, uh, you know, particular pot. I mean, I, 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 th I think Richard's point about there, there, is, there is, uh, continues to be some upward pressure. It, it's a good point. But the, the, most, the biggest bill of all for the taxpayer is the wages and salaries that we pay public workers. And um, those have been falling 
and falling quite significantly for the reasons I've explained and, and you know, with reference to the data that I've used. And that shouldn't be that much of a surprise because the public sector here, we take 21% of our GDP and it's 24% in, in almost every other comparable jurisdiction. So, so by definition, you know, we, 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 we get more from less or as much from less. Um, but again, it's not the narrative. The, the narrative is that there's a whole load of people sat around with their feet up drinking tea. And of course, in any organisation, there will be people who are not properly utilised. In other words, there'll be a productivity gap. Um, but, but the truth is that the public service is actually going in the right direction, whereas the cost of doing business in Guernsey is going in the other direction. And part of that is population management. And I'm going to segue into some a very interesting statistic that was sent to states members from the Employment and Social Security Committee just a couple of days ago. They told us that there were 384 people seeking work, which is not, not an uncommon number for this time of year. And many of those are um, uh, very difficult to employ for a variety of reasons. Um, but interestingly, there are 441 job adverts uh, up on the board at, at, at Edward T. Whedon House. Why is that material? It's twice as many as this time last year. So there are more job adverts than there are people seeking work, and the number is twice as many. Aligned to that, the fact that, that there, are, there are staff shortages everywhere, and you can see that, that, it, that we are probably somewhere around two to 3,000 workers down on where we should be. And most of those are, are natural attrition during the course of the last decade, which have come primarily from people moving from, the, from employment into retirement. Again, a, a product and a consequence of an ageing demographic. Now, why that, why that issue is so, is so fundamental is we've got a housing, a significant housing problem. We have got a significant housing problem, but if I was to tell you that, that it is believed that there are 30,000 empty bedrooms in Guernsey. So there are 30,000 bedrooms um, that, 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 are, 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 that no one ever sleeps in. And, and that's because there is an increasing, uh, um, uh, and it, this is almost exponential, rise in the number of people living alone. There are now 8,000 people in Guernsey who live on their own. 20 years ago, there would have been a couple of thousand. So you can see what's happening. People are living on their own. There's more and more redundancy within the homes that they're in. Um, and that's because we're not seeing um, the, the, the housing market move dynamically in the way that it may have done, you know, many, many years ago. So it's, it's more flats and apartments that are needed rather than sort of four-bedroom houses. And do you think that, you know, do you think the island should open the gates to allow more immigration to, to fill those job posts? During, during, the last, during the last term, the Policy and Resources Committee of the day, which I was the, you know, the Vice President of, Deputy Chief Minister of, very seriously considered proposing to the states um, a, a complete uh, a postponement of, of all of Guernsey's sort of employment uh, um, uh, population, uh, you know, rules. And, and almost as, as a test to see, to see, you know, where it rested in a year or two's time. In other words, let the marketplace let, um, uh, uh, dictate rather than, rather than controls. Um, anyway, it was decided not to progress with it. 
but it would have been it would have been very interesting to see what the outcome was because I, I'm I'm of the view that that, that something's got to give. We, we simply have not got enough people to sustain our economy. And uh, therefore, we need more people need to be here of a certain age and of a certain skill set. Uh, that is a fact. Um, but the resistance uh, to population growth um, is, is understandable, particularly when so many indigenous young people can't get their, you know, get their first you know, foot on the housing ladder. I completely understand that. But... <laughs> You know, if we're not careful, we're going to we're going to go past the tipping point where recovery will be that much harder. Um, so, so, I mean, I don't know what your view is, uh, Richard, well, but I, I think I think it's the it is the big dilemma of the day. I think the disappointing thing to me has been that the response to the demographic headwind has been not, as some people have complained, to demonise the, the old and blame it all on them. Uh, and, and that's just an example of people queuing up to be insulted, really. I mean, nobody's been suggesting that. But there has been really a tendency to, to regard the aged as a problem rather than an opportunity. Uh, and the, the only response you seem to hear to, the, to the, la the lack of sufficient numbers of workers is to um, feed it in from below. Uh, and my, my response to that is, yes, you, you know, you've clearly got to do that, but don't forget there's an immense scope that can be done for those who are post-65. I mean, we still talk about a working age, you know, from 18 to 65. It, it's a sort of international term. It's nonsense. If, on the one hand, you're saying the problem is people are living longer and healthier, therefore, you know, they're, they're not working uh, uh, sorry, the, the proportion of those not working uh, is, is a problem. Why don't you encourage more of those above 65 to carry on working? Now, not necessarily holding down positions that the young are trying to fill. You recycle people. I mean, I've been recycled a number of well, times. Well, I was going to say, you're <laughs> yeah. the perfect example you know, of I've, someone I've starting a, a new career. I've been career. a soldier, <laughs> I've been an author, I've been a politician, and uh, I'm about to be, be an author. But, not, no. but notwithstanding, as, as people age... What's happening is we're seeing more and more people move into the 70 to 80 bracket and more into the 80s and 90s. Now, people extending their working lives from 65 to 67 to 69 to 72, that works. But when people go over the age of 75, you see a really significant drop-off. And, and many, uh, the impact on the, the numbers of people working, uh, that's been you know, part of the impact, part of the, the, the problem. I, I came in there, though, because I agree absolutely with Richard with regards uh, demonising the old. I mean, I mentioned earlier that we've got five to five and a half years of, of, uh, of pension reserves, old age pension reserves. In other words, if there was no investment growth whatsoever and we put no money into that pot, we could continue to pay the old age pension for five and a half years. Why do I say that? Because it's been your generation, and dare I say it, you know, my generation, who have been working for the last 40 years as well, that have built up this pot. So the idea that we are transferring uh, to the next generation a set of liabilities um, uh, that are being unfairly transferred is absolute nonsense, because we are one of the very few places in the world that has built up that resilience as a consequence of having that having that old age pension pot. So any narrative around around blaming the old, of course, is not only uh, completely inaccurate. And I, I've never heard anybody doing it. Well, I, I, I'd, I, I'd argue that some members of the Policy and Resources Committee, um, when they started talking about means tense testing the old age pension, 
came fairly close to crossing that line. Uh, well, that was certainly the, the sorts of messages that I was, I was hearing. But the, tr the truth is that we're different to other places in the sense that we have built up this, this uh, reserve uh, in a way that most other places haven't. So the, so the argument's technically completely, complete nonsense. But I think the states will be pushing at an open door with quite a few of the, the, those who've reached 65 or 70 and even, even beyond. Um, and I think that the door is going to be even more open in the future because uh, people of my generation are going to realise that to, from now on, if they want to enjoy a decent pension in, towards the end of their life, they're either going to have to work longer or they're going to, if they want to work the same number of years, they're going to have to pay in more whilst they're doing it or accept a lower pension in the end. I mean, I mean the, 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 the maths just don't add up, in my, in my view. So I think those who are still able enough to carry on working, uh, many of them would wish to. What can the states do? Well, I think the states can try to embrace themselves a different culture. I wonder when the states last took on a civil servant at the age of 65. Now, uh, I, I use the word recycle because I don't think we should be there to perpetuate the old in the positions they've been, been used to. I, why can't, rather like head teachers, retire and then go back into the classroom once they've retired and are drawing their pension? Why can't policemen who are no longer young enough to chase villains along the Glatney Esplanade man the desk? do the prosecution service, but, uh, or get recycled and do something entirely different, you know, reskilled. Now, the, the culture isn't there at the moment. It's neither there amongst the retirees themselves because somehow they've inherited a culture where at 65 or 70, that's it, they've earned, you know, their retirement. That needs to be addressed, in my view. Nobody has a right to, to anything other than what they've paid in, paid in for. We need a change of culture in, in government and we also need a, ch a change of culture out there in, in, in the private, private sector too. Well, but places like the co-op, I noticed they, they have embraced that culture of employing older people. And, and I really like going in there and, uh, the, you know, the, the support is really good. The, uh, uh, you know, the customer service is very good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, absolutely. The, um, I, I was a huge supporter of extending the, the age of retirement because I think that, you know, m m the health service alone... Um, is so much more sophisticated now that we are all living longer and, and staying healthy for longer. But, but there's a big difference between being 67 or 69 and being 77 or 82. And that is, it is that shift uh, in our demographic that is causing some of the problems. Uh, can I ask you a question? Heather? Yes, please do. You are, you're, you're, you're used to listening to the States. You are um, a very capable journalist. Um, how much do you think it costs... Um, a day to run to, a day to run Guernsey's public service. Two million pounds. Yeah, spot on. <laughs> spot on. Yeah, well I've done. Heard, well I've done. Heard you heard say me it. say it before. Yeah. Eighty thousand pounds an hour. So we've been going nearly an hour, which means that that, that it's cost about eighty thousand pounds to 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 fund public services. These are these are these are large numbers. Uh, and uh, and one of the other issues that I've always had, and Richard has heard me, you know, bleat on about this for ever and a day, and that is. We don't tell the community how, many, how much things cost, and education is something that's keen, dear to yeah. your heart. And we don't, you know, p people complain about their taxes being wasted. 
Uh, whereas the truth is, you know, most people on median earnings, as we know, uh, the tax contribution they make is sufficient to keep a single child in, in public education for one term. Uh, so, so any, you know, anyone with a couple of kids uh, on median earnings uh, in, in being educated in the state system gets an absolutely phenomenal yeah. deal. But we don't, we're, we're embarrassed almost to talk in that way. And I think there needs to be more of that because I think that's far more, uh, a far more collegiate approach. And I'm, I've implored my successors at PNR to do more of it. Mind you, I, I, um, what Lyndon says is absolutely true, but I, I would issue a word of caution on that. Um, th these costs per pupil, costs per prisoner, can be quite useful as a guideline against how we're doing compared with other jurisdictions. Uh, and it is a fact that the, in, in the best of the English comprehensive schools that, that, are, um, that are doing so well, it costs half as much to educate a secondary pupil as it does here, uh, to a lower standard here than they're doing for half the price in England. Yeah. So well, the, he's blown your argument there, so, I'm afraid. No, <laughs> but, uh, so it's true, it costs about 12000 a year here, uh, and the best uh, academy comprehensives in, in the UK um, are, are getting just over 5000 It's about to go up. But, um, but there we are. It can be misleading. I've heard you say it costs 50000 a year to keep a prisoner in, one, in our prison. Well, that doesn't mean that if you put an extra prisoner in there, it's going to cost another 50000 What it is, it, it's that if you want to have a prison in a place as small as Guernsey, uh, it's going to cost you a sum that when you then divide the number of prisoners into it, it comes out at roughly 50000 when I went on to Home Affairs, I addressed this point straight away with the prison governor, who was a very experienced bloke at the time, and I said, what would be the number of prisoners that the state's prison would have to reduce to in order for you to actually do things uh, with less money? Uh, and he said they would have to come down below about 70 prisoners at any one time. I don't know when the last time it ever was. It usually hovers around 100, 110. It's got a capacity. And th the irony is, the more prisoners you put in, the less it costs per prisoner. Yes. You know, yeah, so no, it, that's true. one needs to be... Yeah. Reasonably yeah. careful. With but that. on the grounds that we, we've only got capacity for about 100 prisoners at any one time, and we normally run about 80 or 90, yeah. the, the, mar the margins yeah. for, for error are, are, are They could are, only are close a wing there. I, 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 I don't think any discussion of this type is, is complete, though, without talking about the relationship between economic growth and, 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 and taxes. And, and again, uh, you've, you've reported my thoughts on this before, and, and, and I did an article for the newspaper as well. But a 1% growth in, in GDP um, has, uh, by and large, about a £10 million positive contribution uh, to, to public revenues. And a 1% increase in the personal rate of income tax has, by and large, about a £10 million a positive effect on, on um, public revenues. So 1% so of growth is, is pretty much akin to 1% growth in, in personal income tax rates. Now, of course, most citizens would, would far prefer the growth until you start talking about issues surrounding population. And then many citizens start to sort of change their view. But, of course, you can't have it both ways. You, you, know, you, you, can't, you can't have economic growth in, 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 our, in our community uh, without the growth in the number of people in employment. Uh, and in an ageing demographic, that has to mean new people. 
so it's so that you know that's where the where the debating where, point where is always Where does inflation been. fit in with that? I mean, if those, if you if you've well, got if you grow the economy about one percent, but you've got three percent inflation. Yeah. Uh, are those, you, those numbers are always calculated in, in real terms, in other words, having taken account of inflation. But inflation is fundamental because Rishi Sunak in, in, in his budget is now, is now um, saying that he thinks UK inflation uh, will be sustained throughout 2022 at about 4%. Now, that's an incredibly high number, particularly when you've borrowed money at three and five eighths, because what it effectively means is exactly what I, I hoped would happen or what I expected to happen, is, is that that debt will be inflated away uh, at, a, at a far faster rate as a consequence of UK inflation. Traditionally, Guernsey's inflation has run at a premium. I say traditionally because it started to decouple a few years ago and Guernsey's inflation has been running slightly less than UK inflation. But I think normality will return. It wouldn't surprise me if UK inflation is sustained at 4% next year with a tight labour market like we've got here, that inflation in Guernsey could be 4.5%. And that brings with it all sorts of, of issues for Guernsey's productivity. Because if you've got a static workforce... Um, and uh, wage inflation is running at something akin to retail inflation. Um, uh, it doesn't take long before you before you price yourselves out of the uh, out of the market. So inflation really matters. Ironically, it matters slightly less than it once did because at least we've got some form of inflation hedge on the balance sheet. We've got some debt as well as as well as an abundance of assets, which means it won't just be our assets that, that are, are, are inflated away, but also our debts. So, so fortunately, we're, we are in a stronger fiscal position than we would have been had we have not taken on that debt. Now, that's a concept that most people will find difficult to understand. So I'm talking like someone who, who, you know, who grew up you know, in, in the city. But that is, that, that is the truth of it. What I wanted to ask you, this almost goes back to the 21%, 24% of GDP, how confident are you that we know at any one time what our GDP is? Yeah, that's a very good question. The, the, the answer is um, uh, uh, I'm not. Uh, and I think, I, think we are, you know, there's, there's, I think our GDP is unusual because we get so much. I mean, look at financial services. 40% of our GDP is derived from financial services, but 70% of our export economy. So, you, so we are so skewed towards financial services. Uh, but it was, it's been like this for the last 30-odd you know, years. It remains the best game in town. Um, but it does, it does impact on the way our GDP is, is calculated. You're quite right. But, it, but as long as it's calculated on the same basis, the time series data that you can use to make comparisons remains um, uh, irrelevant. It's when you start playing around with the component parts of GDP that it can skew the numbers. That was Deputy Lyndon Trott and former Deputy Richard Graham. My thanks to them for joining the Guernsey Press Politics podcast. If you enjoyed listening to that, why not leave us a rating and a review and share the podcast with all your friends. We'll be back with more political discussion soon. In the meantime, listen out for our six-minute states updates from the budget meeting next week, our daily digest of all the key things you need to know about what's being debated and decided in the chamber. And with the COP26 climate change conference getting underway. We'll also be bringing you a series of special interviews reflecting the key issues on the agenda in Glasgow. So keep an ear out for that in this feed from Tuesday. Bye for now.